All right, we're rolling. Well, good evening and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. With me tonight is a trapper from Kenora, Ontario, Andrew Dean. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. You have a very unique story. Uh, yes, I do. Yes. I, I, and and um, it's, it's how, how you got into trapping and, and actually how you ended up in Canada as well. Can you, can you give us a, a, a telling of how this all happened? Well, I grew up in a little uh, sort of a village in England called Fontwell. And the nearest biggest cities was uh, Portsmouth and Brighton. We were sort of in the middle. And uh, we were surrounded by um, countryside, uh, the South Downs. There was a lot of big um, uh, estates where they did a lot of pheasant shooting um, and grouse and stuff like that. Uh, not grouse, uh, partridge, but mostly pheasant. And I think the earliest recollection of me of doing any type of trapping was uh, actually catching mice and rats around the house. Um, we always had mice in the house and I would, we would trap them and we had rats in the garden because my, my sister kept guinea pigs and so that would uh, attract them. So it was always my job to set the traps and, and catch the, uh, the rats and stuff. But then uh, I think one day um, we were walking in the woods. We always went for a walk in the park and uh, <clears throat> I come across a, uh, a fox snare that the gamekeepers were using to, to, to snare foxes. And, Kind of fascinated me on on how it worked and the setup and everything, and so that that was sort of my first bit of a taste of uh, of trapping. Can can I just interrupt you there? Um, for us in North America, can you explain what a gamekeeper is? A gamekeeper is hired by um, an estate. Uh, the queen the queen actually has gamekeepers. And uh, what they do is they rear pheasants um, right from, uh, they get the eggs and they raise the chicks all through the uh, summer, right up to hunting season in uh, September. And then um, once hunting season rolls around, uh, guests are invited and uh, it's a driven shoot. So they would hire beaters to beat through the bush and the, the guns would uh, be pegged out in the fields and uh, the idea was to try and drive the birds over the guns so that they could uh, shoot them. And that was the gamekeeper's job to raise the birds. And also um, they would uh, do a lot of vermin control, trapping different animals. Anything that would interfere with pheasants was generally uh, caught. Now, okay. it's not so much because a lot of the, the uh, wildlife is protected over there. But back in the old days, they pretty much trapped anything that interfered with pheasants. I did. I never realized that, that pheasants were, were quite that uh, uh, that important. I mean, I'd heard the term gamekeeper, but I, I kind of always took it to be something like a, like when a municipality or a county or whatever hires a, a trapper to take care of beavers or whatever. I didn't realize that it was focused around the pheasant. Yes, that's right. Yeah, some of the... Some of the old states years ago, they would have several gamekeepers, maybe half a dozen of them. And uh, they look after the huge estates. And of course, their job is to uh, uh, try and keep, uh, try and stop the poachers. Because there was always poachers back in those days. Ah, so they, they also had that responsibility. Right. And that included myself because... Uh, being uh, private land in England, it was very difficult to get permission to um, do any hunting of any kind. And uh, even though I did have permission from some farmers to hunt rabbits and pigeons and stuff like that, the idea of being able to hunt deer and uh, pheasants and stuff like that, it was just, I was in the wrong class of people. Oh, really? <laughs> My, how the world has moved on from that, huh? <laughs> Right. So we sort of uh, helped ourselves whenever the opportunity arose. Well, that's fascinating. So they they, they had that, that responsibility and you ran into a gamekeeper's snare and he was he was snaring fox. 
the snare in a fox. It was uh, back in those days. It was just a basic snare, um, and they had brass eyelets in them. Um, there was no uh, locking device or nothing like that. Okay. The, yeah. the, a very basic snare. <laughs> yeah. And this this fascinated you then? Yeah. Well, it it got me uh, definitely interested in it. Um, my my dad had a book in his library, and I still have the original book here. And um, this is it right here. If you can see that. The Poacher's Handbook. <laughs> right. And it, it was written by a guy, uh, um, the author was Ian Nail. And I actually wrote to him um, after I moved to Canada, and I got a letter back from him. But it talked all, the, all about the different ways of uh, catching... Uh, rabbits and pheasants and, and stuff. Um, not exactly uh, legally back in those days. But it had um, a picture of a trap in there um, called a gin trap. I'm sure you've heard the term before. Yeah. Um, um, in Africa, so. Were... Go ahead. Sorry. Gin traps were, were generally used for, for uh, catching rabbits and foxes. And they had uh, like little round ones as well that they were used for birds. They, they put them on top of a pole. And the, the um, hawks and that would, would sit on top of the pole and get caught in the trap and just hang there. So <clears throat> they were called pole traps. I, I actually have a gin trap here. This is the old style gin trap from England. Wow. And it was, it was, it was used for rabbits. And they were outlawed in... The early fifties, I think. That is cool. I, yeah, looking at looking at the, t the tooth jaw and all that stuff, and and uh, the spring. It's yeah. a two piece spring, isn't it? Isn't uh, it? Yeah. It has it has a base on it, and yeah. then it just have one spring comes around. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, that's an extended part of the base. Ah, oh, that's yeah. different. And it works basically the same as, as a, you know, like a one and a half trap. Yep. Yeah. Now they actually made um, bigger ones for these. They made uh, really big ones that were sent to Africa and used for lions and stuff yep. like that. And they also made really big ones back in the 15th century, which they used against poachers. Yeah. And they were actually set and um, yeah, poachers will get caught in them. It was like a huge bear trap. Right, right. So the gamekeeper was this a guild? Was this a guild or or an apprenticeship or uh, how did you become a game gamekeeper? Uh, I I believe these days they actually have a, uh, a like a university course that you have that you go through, uh, like an apprenticeship. Right. But I think back in the earlier days, uh, you would uh, apply to work on an estate and. Uh, you work as a, uh, as I think they call it an underkeeper. Oh, cool. Under the keeper, and he would teach you all the tricks of the trade. Oh, that's fascinating. It, it, it's uh, the, 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 the colonial days and that, I mean, it, it harkens back to, we have friends uh, in, uh, in South Africa. We, we spent quite a bit of time there, and, and uh, they're professional hunter. When they, that, that's your PH is the guy who's your, here in Canada, we call them a guide, right? They're a guide or an outfitter, but they're, they're, they're a PH and they go through a, an incredible school. And I mean, even their final test is, is, is a week long. There's, there's uh, seven days of, of uh, practical and written and they even hunt and, and process animals and everything all, all to become a, a professional hunter. Um, it, it is quite an honorable uh, tradition and profession. You know, that's that I find that very cool about the colonialism. That's why I asked what, whether or not it was a guild. But yeah, you so you started as an underkeeper, huh? Started as an underkeeper and you work your way up. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Actually, when um, when I left school, um, we could leave at school at uh, 15 years old back then, and I wanted to become a gamekeeper. That was my right. What I wanted. And uh, my dad, in all his wisdom, said, well, you can, you can be a gamekeeper, but you really need to get some kind of apprenticeship first. And then, then you can do whatever you want. 
And so I actually took a, uh, a machinist apprenticeship. Dads are so uh, wise, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for four years. And then the opportunity arose to, to come to Canada. So what t- uh, dates are we talking here when, when, when you came to Canada? Uh, I believe it was 1972. 1972. So what was the motivation to come to Canada? Was it following the the, the trapping or, or following being a machinist? Or did you find a lady? No. <laughs> well, uh, it was uh, mostly the trapping interest. Um, of course, we didn't have computers or, you know, cell phones or anything back in those days. No. And I would, I, uh, I think I subscribed to the Fur Fishing Game Magazine, and I would write to all the different companies uh, to try and get their trapping supply ca- catalogs. Oh, cool. And uh, I ended up um, being a pen friend with a guy named Reg Bear, and at the time he had Snow Country Trap Lines. And uh, he would send me some traps and, and different information, and uh, th- this really got my interest in going that this is the place where I wanted to go because I'm an outdoor person. I like hunting, fishing, and especially trapping. So I figured Canada was the place to go. I just got to find a way to get there. So what was, what was the attitude towards trapping in 1972 in, in England? Uh, Trapping was um, the gamekeepers were trapped just uh, mostly vermin, anything that interfered with pheasants or, or the other game. Um, there was no real fur market. Um, people used to trap squirrels uh, and send the tails off. I think they were made for fishing flies and stuff like that. Right. There was a limited fur market, but nothing like North America. No, okay. Uh, the but- was I was wondering what was what was the public perception like now the UK is the hotbed of of flat out crazy when it comes to the antis of or anti fur right Yeah it's um like I say they they banned the gin trap back in the 50s and they come up with all different types of replacements some are just bulky and and big and didn't work and but the attitude was um, people really didn't like um uh, the, the trapping aspect. Um, we used to do a lot of ferreting. We used to use ferrets to, to catch rabbits. Oh, that is extra cool. <laughs> Over here, ferrets are kept as, as pets. Um, we used to, uh, I used to have two, two ferrets, and their names was Bonnie and Clyde. And they kept them <laughs> in, a, in a hut in the garden. And uh, we did have permission in certain places to hunt rabbits. And we, we put the ferrets down the holes and put nets over the holes, special nets, and, and the ferrets would drive the rabbits out. No kidding. Uh, how, that, uh, how domesticated were the is, ferrets? Uh, right. Like, like, I mean, how domesticated uh, we were they? What's that? Oh, they were, they're not, they're not like, they're not, um, they're not pets like they are over here. Okay. My kid had a, a couple of ferrets, and they were just pets. Okay. Over there, um, you had to be wary of them. They, they give you a good bite. I, I had one hang on my finger one day, and I, I couldn't get it off. I, said, <laughs> I actually put him on a fence post and tapped his head to get him off, and I had to get the <laughs> shots for it. But, yeah, so, they were pretty, uh, it could be pretty vicious. So you take Bonnie and Clyde then out in a cage. You take them to where you were going to hunt rabbits, and you'd send them down a hole. How would how do you get them back? Oh, they come back out. Uh, sometimes they would kill a rabbit down the hole, and then we always had two ferrets. So the second ferret, we had a little collar, and uh, we'd run a a line on the collar, and we tie a knot every twelve inches or two feet, and then we estimate how far down the hole he is. And then you always had a shovel. You dig them out. Oh, that's Sometimes fascinating. <laughs> Sometimes people got two or three rabbits stuck at the end of the hole. No kidding. Oh, man, yeah. that that is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I, I love those tie a knot every twelve inches on the string solutions. I I mean that 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 was that was pretty cool. It's pretty inventive. And 
you, you knew you knew kind of what your day was going to be like if because if he's if he's twenty knots down, it's like oh dear. <laughs> you could put your ear to the ground too and hear them thumping around. But, yeah. Uh, these days they have uh, they have some kind of transmitters on the uh, ferrets that you can pick up where they are. Okay. Like ferreting is still a big thing over there and snaring and um, uh, trapping to a certain extent. But the types of traps, actually, I think they actually use conny bears over there now. Okay. Um, yeah. I, you talk about you can hear them. I, I mean, we have weasels kill squirrels underneath the, the cabin, and there's sometimes in the middle of the night, there's a god-awful thumping, and, and uh, you know, a blood-curdling scream goes off, and you know what's happening. And once you, once you wake up and, you're, and your heart rate slows, you understand that another squirrel met his demise to, to, to a weasel underneath the, underneath the cabin. But... You say that snaring and and ferreting is st are still popular in oh, yeah, in the UK. Much. Yep. Really. And also uh, pigeon shooting, uh, pheasant shooting, deer stalking. But uh, it's it's um, only certain people. Like it's very difficult to get a rifle in England. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I I could not get a rifle. I, um, I had shotguns long before I was supposed to have them. <laughs> I have a great I have a great story about a gun in, in England uh, this guy was a, a, a pilot for UPS and he, we were in, down in, uh, in Wyoming and he was telling us this, this story but he flew into Glasgow I think it was and he had his shotgun with him to do, to, to do some hunting and uh, then they, they ended up driving from Glasgow down into into the U, into uh, England, and because that gun didn't get into England the proper way, and that it was like an international incident. And he, and he says, "I actually spent time in jail." <laughs> well, they were figuring it out, but he was he was a, a, a Amer I think it was a FedEx pilot is what he was. It was it was just crazy things you just don't think about, right? Right. Yes, I. Um... Well, I bought my first shotgun. It was a bolt action 410. I think I was about 16. I, I don't think we were allowed to have one to our 18. And then my dad found out about it and then he took it away. And so right away, I, I found another one. I bought <laughs> another one. I actually have, um, this is this is the type of shotgun I had back then. So oh. this is actually a poaching 410. A what? It was a it was a, a poacher's 410. A poacher's 410. Right, had a skeleton stock, and the gun would actually fall in half like so. Oh, cool! <laughs> I, I, I would put that in my pocket, and I wear a jacket over top. Nobody <laughs> ever know it was there. <laughs> oh, the things we used to do when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> for a rifle we could only have air rifles but we had this is a bsa um pre-war uh 22 pallet gun okay and, and under the lever yes like so and you put your pallet in there okay it's a highly collectible Very i've collectible. never i've never this, seen one like that I've never seen one like that, and especially not with the, with 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 where you you load the pellet being so far up the, because that's all a huge spring then right. then behind it, right? Okay. Inside, yeah. Yeah, it's spring and piston. This is yeah. the actual gun that I had. This is the actual gun that I had when I was a kid. So what would I that bought, kill? I bought it over. Well, uh, you could kill rabbits at fifty yards with it. At fifty yards. Or Fez, yeah, yeah you weren't supposed to be shooting powerful. those. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, 1972, yeah. you were you were how old when you came to 19. came to Canada? 18? 19. 19. 19. Yeah. Wow. Um, a friend of mine happened to be in in a pub one night and. Somehow he found out the Hudson Bay Company were hiring people to come to Canada to work in their northern stores. And um, he told me about it. So I, I, I looked into it a little bit 
And then I found out that I could go for an interview in Canada House in London and apply for the job. So that's what I did. No and, kidding. Uh, went up there and, and uh, applied. And then they told me they'd let me know in a couple of weeks. And then I got a letter from them. They wanted me to go for a medical. And then uh, next thing, I was hired. No kidding. So and uh, on a plane to come to Canada and I there was about I can't remember how many people I come with maybe 30 or 40 other people it was part of the Hudson's Bay tradition back then to hire people from England and Scotland okay and yeah yeah the, I think 72 was the last year that allowed people to come in like that what was your job what what, what, what? slipped under the wire yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what was your job? What did you do for, for the Hudson Bay? Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming this happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never before released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. Well, the first, what happened first was that um, we flew to uh, Toronto, and then we had to fly to Winnipeg. And I remember going down the runway in Toronto, and all of a sudden, the plane put the brakes on, Everything went flying in the plane. <clears throat> Apparently, we ran into a flock of birds. And they managed to stop it before takeoff. Oh, my. <laughs> so it took a couple hours to, to, on the runway to clean it out. And, and the second time around, I think you could probably hear a pin drop on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> we finally made it to Winnipeg. Uh, we stayed in Winnipeg about, I think it was three days to get it orientated. We stayed in the Marble Hotel. Um, we went to the Fro Depot. Um, we got shown around a little bit. We went to the head office. And then we had a choice of where we wanted to go. We could go to the Arctic or the city or the bush. And so I decided I wanted to go to the bush. So I was told to uh, get a taxi and go to Kenora and, no, sorry, get on the Greyhound bus and go to Kenora and then you get a taxi and then you go to Grassy Narrows, which is about 40, 50 kilometers north of Kenora. Yes, yeah. So I remember getting, I remember getting in the taxi and the taxi driver was asking some questions and he says, why are you going to Grassy Narrows? And I said, well, I'm going to work for the Hudson Bay Company. And uh, he said, well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got to Grass, I was met by uh, Doug and Joan Ross. They were the store manager. And the, the uh, store was actually off the uh, reserve. And my job was basically to 
<clears throat> it was a store a trainee store manager. But I started off like sweeping the floor, stocking the shelves and stuff like that. <clears throat> God, what, what? I was there for about I was there for about two months and then uh, I got transferred. I went to Cat Lake, which is about uh, 45-minute flight north of Red Lake. And so I flew up there, and that was, uh, there was no roads out there. It was just a fly-in reserve. And um, that that particular uh, store, the it was the last log store in the district. The whole store was made of logs. Oh, neat. And the warehouse was made of logs. Yeah, it was really neat. Yeah. So I actually, uh, Spent about nine months at Cat Lake. And I pretty much did the same things, um, stocking the shelves, sweeping the floor, um, helping out with the book work. Um, and of course, uh, helping out, uh, uh, packing up the furs when they came in in the fall. Oh, so you did get to handle furs a little bit and, and you got to yeah. see the traps and lures and all that kind of stuff. and. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was at, at um, Cat Lake for about nine months, and then I got shipped back to Grassy. And then I heard that the, uh, the paper mill in Kenora at the time was looking for a machinist because one of them was going to retire. So I went there and applied for the job, and uh, I stayed there for 30 years until it shut down. Oh, wow. <laughs> What what a big adventure for a 19-year-old kid in 1972. I mean, even flight wasn't that, you know, it wasn't very old at that time even, you know, and you jumped on a plane and away you come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a big adventure. Lots of fun. So some some point along, along the way then, uh, while you were working as a machinist, you got into trapping. I did. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I went to the mill for a while and then I uh, met my wife, Donna, and uh, it wasn't very long before we got married and kids were starting to come along and I was starting to look for uh, a trap line of my own, which was <clears throat> pretty hard to find, <clears throat> pretty hard to find at the time. But I did get uh, some private land trapping to work on. So um, I, that's how I started out, a little bit of private land traffic. And then <clears throat> I was looking for a registered line and I went into the Ministry uh, of Natural Resources office, I think probably every second week and bugged them. You wore them down. <laughs> you wore them down. That was back in the back in those days, you know, you, you could it was very different what it is now. You could walk into the office and go sit down with the COs, have a cup of coffee and chit chat and but now everything's just over the counter. Yeah. And uh, it was actually a, a CO named um, Wayne Stack that gave me the trap line. And he said, Well, there's a line come available on on Dryberry Lake and he gave me a map and he said, Go see what you can do. Oh, cool. That's how I started out. So, uh, registered trap lines uh, in Ontario, they're all on, on Crown land, right? Public land? Right. Okay. Right. And you guys have a quota system on beaver, right? Where you, where you have yes, to catch a minimum amount of, of, of like, say they, they say your quota for, for your, your particular trap line is 100 beaver. You have to catch like 75% of that to hold that trap line right. every, pardon me? Right, 75%. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We have quotas on animals here in Alberta, but it's the opposite. That's our maximum we can catch. Um, you know, like, okay. like I'm allowed 18 fisher. That's a maximum number of fisher I can catch, but your quota is quite different. So that must've been, I don't know. What, what, what was the idea behind that to, to keep the beaver under control or I, I, I never heard of, um, I think the idea was was that uh, they wanted people to actually get out there and trap, uh, where the fur prices were high or low. So, because some people would only trap when um, when fur prices were high, and then they wouldn't bother when when they were low, sort of like they are right now. <laughs> so the idea was 
to force you to go out there and trap those beaver. And on the other end of the scale, we had a quarter, I have a quarter on lynx and fisher. Um, we're not allowed very many. I think I'm allowed two lynx and, and three fisher. And that is so we don't over trap. Okay. Okay, so you, you how big is your trap line? Hard to say, it's a kind of an odd shape, but it's probably 60, 70 square miles. Oh, it's a nice size then. Yeah. And what would, how would you describe the terrain? Uh, about half lake and half bush. Uh, Driver is a very big lake, it's, it's a trout lake. And uh, in the fall, we do all our trapping from the water. So all my Martin boxes are all set around the shoreline. So we just drive around the boat and check them. So you, when does your Martin season open? Uh, October the 25th. And you still have open water then? Yeah, there's a big trout lake and it stays open till mid-December, late December. Really? Cool. Yeah. Do you have, and do you have a lot of Martin on your line? Yeah, we generally take around 80, something like that. That's awesome. You guys I mean, you guys have those those nice dark brown Martin, too. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, we put all the boxes around the shoreline so we can, you know, just drive around the boat and check them from the boat. Um, there are other places. We have quite a few trails as well, which we walk. It's nice to get out of the boat once in a while, and especially if it's a cold water miserable day and uh, walking in, in, uh, and check other traps as well. What's your you trap otter and, and mink. And what's your, what's your favorite set for, for, uh, for Martin? Maybe and be the same thing for Fisher too, I imagine. Yeah. I, we just use the box. It's exactly the same as you. It's except mine upright, not upside down. Okay. Okay. couple reasons we, we can't. Just, I just put beaver meat. Right. I, I I would just say we get too much snow to have them have them the way the, the, to set a box the way you do. You feel full of snow all the time. <laughs> you have we make our so we we can just flip them over and knock out any snow and stuff. You have uh, beaver, muskrat, mink, otter, yeah, fisher. We don't, have, we don't have we don't have a lot of muskrats here. No, not on my line. Okay, lot lots of otter and mink. Uh, we don't. We get some mink, not a lot. Most of them get caught in the martin boxes. We don't actually set for fishery either because they go into the martin boxes. It, um, we, we get about um, my beaver quarter is sixty, but it, it varies um, because one year we had a big fire go through. And of course, there was lots of food for the beavers, and the population went way up. And so we put the quarter up to 60, but now it's down to around, we only take about 30 right now. Okay. And the ministry's okay with that. We, you know, they're not, as long as you get out there and do something, they're not super stringent on the uh, getting the 75%, especially okay. on a year like this one. So low as well. And you have, a lot of wolf and, and coyote as well? Not a lot. Um, there used to be a lot of wolves when there was a lot of moose there. Uh, we used to hunt moose there every year. It was nothing nothing to see 10 moose in a couple of weeks. But uh, the, the moose got this, this uh, brain worm. Oh. And uh, it, it killed a lot of them off. So it's a rare sight to see a moose out there right now. Wow. But you're not in part of that Algonquin wolf thing. You're, you're, you're too far west for that, aren't you? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we have no, uh, we can trap as many wolves as we want. We, we don't have a quarter on wolves or Martin uh, or otters, stuff like that. What, what's your favorite animal to trap? Um, I enjoy catching wolves because they're a challenge. You know, it, it's, uh, I like to try and outsmart them. This year I picked up three, um, but Martin are pretty easy to catch, pretty easy to skin. I 
I'm with you on that. Martin are easy to catch. They're they're easy to skin, and they and they're good money for basically the. They're they're less work than a yep. squirrel, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're and they're they're better for my big fat hands to fit in than a squirrel squirrel does. So I really like Martin. What what is your most successful or or favorite set for wolves? I'm actually been using the Burt Rand snares, and uh, I find they work really well. Oh, really? The, the the big Wolfmaster, uh... Wolfmaster, yeah. Yeah. And so are you blind? Uh, no, I, I set up bait, and I leave it for a few weeks until they start coming in. And then I, I set it back in in their trails where they're coming in. Yeah, yeah. Same same as what we do. Um, uh, I don't use... Like, I use a lot of, uh, of the uh, power rams for coyotes. But when it comes to wolves, I I, I use uh, free hangers, uh, free hanging snares, and that, just because it, it. I use the I use the MV seven fifties as well for wolves. Okay. The only problem with that is that uh, in Ontario you have to check them every twenty four hours. <coughs> so you know you can't really set them and then leave them for a couple of days. We have a twenty four hour check. In the res uh, in the residential in private land, but out, out on our registered lines we have a forty hour forty eight hour check. But still, I can't I can't get around all of my trails in forty eight hours. <laughs> you know, you just you just can't. And and you keep going in circles like that. You're you're never gonna wolves are never gonna come in anyway, right? Uh, it it's no, it's. It a pardon me. Maybe a week or two before they come back. Oh yeah, like I mean, it, it it it's a difficult thing. Like there's lots of times you you set up a a, a wolf bait and I, I set it up in in November, and the first time the wolves come through is January. You know, like yeah, well, you, yeah. You just you just can't beat the you snares. Yeah, you do. You don't know what no. you you don't know. You don't know. So no, Tell tell me about your 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 favorite catch. What 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 was what was the most unique or special catch that you've made or most unique catch? I I caught a trout in a beaver house once. <laughs> in a county bear. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. I've had uh, two McGansers together in a county bear. Oh yeah. Father Richard. Because they, they come around the beaver houses looking for minnows. And, yep. Yeah. I've had a squirrel and a weasel together in the same trap. Yeah. In a marten. I I caught um, I caught two flying squirrels and a weasel in the same trap. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. And a weasel. Yeah, and a weasel. Do you have yeah. A lot of flying squirrels? We have a lot Do you of. Have a lot of flying yeah, we we have they're, lots. They're yeah, they they are the bane of my existence. Them and the pygmy shrew. Do you have pygmy shrews? No, not that I no, I don't think so. They're just. Well, they chew the, chew the fur. They're about this big, like big big okay. as my thumb. They can go through half inch square mesh like nothing. They just shoot through it, but they um. When you, as your meat freeze dries in the wintertime, like along about Christmas, my, all my bait, you know, I have a fist sized chunk of beaver meat in there, but there, or, or half a muskrat and all that bait freeze dries. And, and so it gets kind of like wood or whatever, but they go and they eat all the meat off the bones and you, oh, wow. you, you pull out this, this half a muskrat and you have this perfect skeleton and it's perfectly naked, right? Because it's, it's, they, they've ate all the meat off and it's a pygmy shrew. If any of my fur happens to lean against the tree or on the ground or whatever they they they, they do terrible damage you know they they're they're just an awful thing so all of all of my traps hang upside down um are all face down so, and then i have a you know pole at the top so when they hit it and they swing out that's just to protect my fur like i mean uh, right. if i didn't have to do it to protect my fur well you you, you know it's it's that much less work to to do right but there's no sense killing something if you're not going to be able to utilize it, right? And I just I hate the, the them. If if you have, it's happened to me. I don't know. 
Uh, it didn't happen last winter, but the winter before, I had one Martin hang up falling out of the box. And it because it, it, it hung up on the cable, it laid up against the tree. And the side that was laid against the tree, everything that was in contact with the tree, well, they went up went up through there and they just mowed it. It looked like like you'd taken a, a electric razor and buzzed up, but they just, they just pulled all that, that, that fur off. Yeah, it was like, oh, it just... Okay. The whole side and half the back of a of a Martin, it was just a shame. But yeah, everybody's got to eat, I guess. Hey, folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about? For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed Old Smokes coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. <laughs> Just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes Coffee's darkest roast, Stout Maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Yeah. Whoever thought an eagle would stick his head in there. <laughs> you never know what's going on. I had a lynx, uh, this particular lynx here. This guy here, he got caught by uh, putting his paw in the Martin box. Yeah. 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 That happens once in a while, not very I, often. I don't have it happen with, with lynx. Like, I've, lynx will check out my Martin boxes often. And and uh, I have a habit of upsetting a, a lynx pen right next to a Martin box, but they'll walk up and they'll go look at it. And and I've always wanted to do a step up set, you know, where you, you take and put a short little stump neck uh, on the tree. You know, my Martin box would be up here, and uh, yeah. and you know I want to have a, a step up there and, and you know like a little stump that that they would step up on, and because they'll, they'll take and put their feet up on it, you know, to, to to sniff what's going on. I have that step up there then with a foothold on it'd be easy way to catch a martin or catch a, a lynx and i mean that was very common in this country back in the in, in the old days way, uh, of trapping the only problem is i got to check that every 48 hours and that's just not possible to do so you know i i do set them up when i go out at, at christmas time and i'm out there for a couple of weeks well i'll set them up then and and it's a lot of fun i haven't caught enough of them yet to make a whole show on it but i should show show a couple of them uh because it is cool. It is it is cool. Just they, they're, they're curious. But I've never yet had uh, one climb the tree or go into a box or, or get or get caught by foot. Never never had that. Um, uh, I had. Uh, I guess. I guess the worst I've had is a wolverine, and he went. Oh wow! Yeah, well, he went. He went and and he he smashed a bunch of boxes. Just tore them apart. And I don't know how they do it, but they tore the he tore the Martin boxes apart without springing the trap. So I don't know whether he managed to hook that that trap out first, or it fell out, or whatever. I grizzly bears do the same thing; they get the trap out of the uh, on the on the show this year. You'll you'll see uh, where we had a, a, a grizzly bear that that uh, robbed a, a fisher trap. And anyway, he did it on on like three of them. And crushed him in that. And then on the fourth one, he got caught. He, he got caught. He had the 120 on his foot. Well, then, you know, he he fought and struggled and all that. And, and he and he got loose. He, he, what, he, well, he pulled he pulled the nail out of the tree. And he's gone with my, my, trap, uh, my trap. And, of course, destroyed the box. 
He goes in the next two boxes in a row. He absolutely destroys, take the meat and everything else. And on the last one, he left the trap that he'd had on his foot. I don't know how he did it, but I'm so glad he did. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, meanwhile, while he has, before he had that trap on, he had uh, walked right by a, a Wolverine set, you know, where, which had a big chunk of bait there and, and uh, you know, like half a beaver hanging in there and a, and a 330 and, and, and everything else, you know, was designed for him. But he wasn't interested in that. He was, he was interested in those, in those uh, Martin boxes. And I often wonder, I've thought about that, and I was wondering if it had anything to do with my lure. Because, you know, when you do a, a big bait site for, for Lynx and Wolverine, you never put a lure on it, right? And I wonder if it was because of that skunky, uh, like I use a skunky lure for, for Martin. I was wondering if that's what was attracting it so much. And I don't think it was a big, big uh, Wolverine by any means. Like, didn't seem to be. The tracks weren't that big, very big. And I, if I was to bet on it, I, bet, I would bet it was a female. But it... Kind of knew how the game was played. <laughs> it followed my tracks, and it just went shopping on my line. <laughs> we're not, we're not, uh, we're not allowed to trap wolverines here. Um, th there's been a few accidental catches, right? And if you, if it's an accidental catch, you can, you can keep the first one, but if you catch another one, you're not supposed to keep it. You're supposed to turn it in. Well, you know. And one of the problems. Go ahead. Yeah, I've always wanted a Wolverine, and a friend of mine had one for sale, like ready mounted. So he wanted quite a bit of money for it, but I ended up buying it because I had to have it. Yeah, they're a cool animal, and you know where 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 there's lots of Wolverine, they are as dumb as Fisher. You know, they they they're they are this just as they are just as brazen as Fisher are. You know, like Fisher's probably the easiest to catch. Martin isn't that hard either, but Fisher, are, you know, where a Martin might stop and look at something and Fisher just charges right in. Well, that's that's a Wolverine. But you have, the problem is, is that you don't have a lot of Wolverine. Except, you know, you get Northern Alberta and, and into the territories. They have lots and lots of Wolverine. Well, you talk with Devin, I think he got 21 Wolverine this winter. You know, there's nothing hard about catching Wolverine. He sets all his, uh, our 330s set in a, in a milk crate. You know, this, 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 you know, there are people that go about and, and saw a hole in a giant log to put it, put the trap in and all that. They, they just make themselves a bunch of work. Um, another, another, uh, some guys that we've, uh, had on the show, um, the Shobs, they use, uh, uh, you know, four foot stucco wire, make a, make a, a cage this big, put a 330 in the front and, and, Usually hang like a a big chunk of links in there. And the Wolverine like really like to eat links, and you know their whole idea is, is that sometimes the Wolverine will climb the tree and jump in, and they get it on the way out, uh, or the Wolverine thinks that the the cage itself is, that that metal is what's what, what should be avoided, and so then it just goes to jump through the three thirty, right? But they're not where there's lots of them. They're not that bright. So I don't know whether where, where there's not lots of them, why they seem to be smarter, or it's just because we want to catch one so bad. I don't know. <laughs> I know they, they have them um, north of here, north of Red Lake. They yeah. actually do, uh, I think they follow them and study them up there. But uh, yeah, very rare to see one around here. Yeah. It, it's rare on my trap line, and mostly because I don't have a lot of elevation on my trap line, which is, which is unusual. Uh, you get any places where you get the uh, boreal forest plateaus and that kind of stuff, that's where they where, where they like to exist. My trap line is pretty flat and low. Um, probably the center quarter of it is, is too wet for really anything. Um, it's tamarack and black spruce. And you get uh, lynx travel through there in the wintertime. You know, that's that, that's about it. You know, there's there's not even, no, the wolves, wolves don't even go through there or anything else. So, hey, that's the biggest problem I got. I mean, the guys on each side of me and, and the guys, of course, to the north and all that, all have uh, all have Wolverine. I just very seldom have them come through. I've had I've had this trap line now, what, six or seven years, and I think I've had four Wolverine go through in that time. But And, and they're just going through. They, they don't live there or anything else. They're just traveling, right? Traveling through, yeah. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah. It, it's cool, and... and it, Go ahead. I actually, 
I actually obtained a, a second trap line this year as a helper, and it's I, I actually live on it. My help, my house is on the trap, which is kind of cool. That is but when things when things are a little slow. It's uh, you know it's it's nice to just be able to go ten minutes across the lake and catch a few beaver and whatever. That is so cool. <laughs> and I'm jealous of you guys beaver too, the black beaver. Man, <laughs> those are pretty. Yeah, I sent four of them in to be uh, tanned this year. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've uh I I just finished up the last of my beaver. I I I can't keep up to them in the wintertime and then then in the spring we 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 do a lot of shooting because uh the oil companies on on, on the trap line uh, they always want the beaver taken care of by the roads, but I can't put traps out. I, the traps will get stolen. So, um, we, we do a bunch of shooting. Well, you can build up a lot of beaver to, to, to work on in no time flat. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite animal? What's what, what I mean, you, you, you said you, you, you really enjoy wolves is it just because they're, they're more, the most difficult. Uh, yeah, they're a challenge to catch. Yeah. I, I enjoy trying to outsmart them. They can be pretty smart. They can. I found them to be the king of, of. I always call it. Uh, where's Waldo? Like when something changes. You know, you have those cartoons where you have two pictures side by side, and you know, spot the six different uh, the six differences. In that the wolf would yeah. win that every time. Like they they yeah. can they can see when something's out of place. You know, it's it's like they they carry this photographic memory or whatever, and and they come up to the first time they go through your bait site and that you change anything they will shy away from it the next time you know what i mean i yeah. i dealt with this one guy he's in the yukon and uh he was trapping wolves and, but he has he had uh it was impossible to try and get them to come to bait or anything but they would travel his snowmobile tracks all the time and and he's on on the rivers and so he he, he would he tried to to take and put, uh, uh, you know, traps in, in his, in his, uh, uh, snowmobile track and that kind of stuff, but it just didn't work. Right. And too much snow and all that. And when they, he'd be going down, you know, how a river makes those great big loops and that, you know, and you have the big flood, flood, flood plane on the inside of that loop. Well, he one time decided that he would just try and drive through this. So he drove through where there was a bunch of willows in that. Right. Well, and it was perfect then. He as he he drove through, he could set snares off of these willows because they, if they're going to follow his his snowmobile track, you know they were going to be within reach of his snares, right? And he says it was great. And they, they would they would take and start that way, and then they come back to his trail and, and head down the down the, the the river and that. So he took it. He would take a skinned marten carcass. I I love it when people think this stuff through and when it works like this. He would take a skinned marten carcass and he would drop it on his snowmobile trail right where the other trail took off and went through the willows and they would not go anywhere near that skinned carcass and they would take his trail through the willows and then he'd catch them on the on that flat in those snares but it was it took that okay. that skinned market martin carcass there to be there to to make them go go on a different trail you know and another guy interesting oh i found it fascinating i just found it fascinating i thought you know how did he come up with that idea? You know, like I like that somebody who has that that ability to to understand the animal. You know, uh, another person, and I've, I, do you blind snare for your links much or? Uh no, we. Uh, I I actually tried those uh, wire cages that I yep. saw on your show. Yeah. So I tried those. And we don't catch a lot of links. No. But they do work. Okay. What? Yeah, and then we've, uh, I've actually tried the milk cartons, but I haven't had any luck with the milk cartons. I don't get many lynx shoving their head in a 330, not many at all. I think last year I had two, you know, and, and uh, I think I, I had my quota of 22 lynx. Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community. Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming 
This happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. I don't know. I, I shut down about three weeks early. Like I had about three weeks of seasons left when I, when I ran out of quota and only two of them stuck their head in, in a 330. Uh, but one of the things I like to do is, as I said, a blind snare on my, on my trail, right? Because lynx follow your, your snowmobile track. You know, they like to wander along. They're, they're lazy animals and they like to wander along. So, you know, when you go through something thick or whatever, it's always nice to, you know, throw a cup, a little bit of blocking in and, and throw a, a, a snare there, a blind snare, right? Well, the wolves will follow my trails too. They come trotting along and you can see them hit the brakes. You know, they, it's like a full skid and everything. And then they go out through the woods and, and around. And it is just amazing that, you know, that they they can smell that that snare and everything and they, and they go around it. And I was telling my buddy about this and he says, did you set a snare for them? I says, well, they just went around that. He says, no. He says, you go back around where they went through the bush and come in at it from a 90 degree angle and just take and hang a snare over their trail. He says, when they come back through, they'll follow their own trail again because it's safe and they won't even think about it. And it works. <laughs> about using the record. Yeah. You come around, yeah, wherever you, you don't walk up to the bait. You you walk, make a big circle around it. Yeah. The snares in where they're coming in. That's where you get them. Yeah. Well, this this is no bait or anything. This is just the fact that they were leaving my snowmobile track because of, because of my link snare and they go and circle around through the bush and they always think, they always circle downwind so that they know where, where the danger is and everything. They take a circle around, and then that's when he goes and snares. Is this is it, this you know where they where they walked? And he says, just leave it there all winter. He says they may not come back, but if they come back, they're going to follow their own trail again. And he's right, it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I like I like trapping autos too. We have a lot of autos here. Okay. Do you bait and lure them, or do you blind set? No, we just put the uh, sets are all in the little creeks and uh, wherever they're sliding out of the bush, they're going from one lake to another. Yep. We always seem to follow the same trail. Yeah. And, uh, I use the 280 county bears for those. Yeah, yeah. They, they work real good. How many otter would you get a winter? Uh, an average of anywhere between 10 and 16. That's nice. take a whole lot. I'm I'm allowed twelve, and I could have my twelve in a week. Like I mean, I I have, I have so many otter on my line. All all my lakes are full of little fish, like stickleback minnows. And yeah. have you have, you must have seen where they get it? Where um, you get a little open patch of water? Uh, sometimes you know three four feet around is is all it is. But it'll be in January February, and and the oxygen content is getting so low in the water. All the minnows are up there guppy and getting air and the otters are in it and they, they're just laying on their backs and they're just mowing down on these. They're just chewing on them. I actually took otters to a biologist from the U of A. He's doing a study. Um, I got to get a hold of him too. This reminds me. He's doing a study on parasites that affect mink and otter. 
And so I took him uh, some of my otters from this year. I think I took him seven carcasses, seven carcasses, yeah. And he, his comment was is that I don't know that they have parasites or that the parasites hurt them at all because they'd never seen animals so fat, you know. And, and most of the fat on an otter comes off when you skin them, right, when you pull them. You know, the fat is on the skin, right? Uh, I measured, I, I weighed, I weighed them and, and like, you know, I'd have uh, the otter skin after I, after I pulled it off and before I flesh it, it would weigh 6.4 pounds. And after I was done fleshing it, it would weigh 2.8 pounds. So it tells you how many, how many pounds of fat were on that. Like there, there is, uh, I mean, otters are a, a very successful predator because when you have a predator that's fat like that, they're doing the job well, you know? <laughs> I actually uh, built a skinning machine to um, for skinning otters, so they'd okay. be tugging on them all the time. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, it's just uh, I actually built a, a different one. I put a uh, like a, a winch up in the. Uh, I, we do all our skinning in the basement. There's nothing okay. in the basement. It's just my workshop, and and I'm allowed to do it down there. <laughs> so I have this winch up in the uh, rafters. For the and then um, in the cement floor, I have the the uh, the bar with the uh, vice grips on them. Yep. So you skin out the back legs, and you grab the the fur in the vice grips, and then you have a, a hook hooked up to the winch. You just press a button that pulls this, pulls the skin right off, right up the height. Yeah, I I, I do I do a, I do a similar thing, and and like otter are are one of those animals that you have to pull. Like, I mean, I can, I can do lynx and coyote and all that by hand, but otter, my, the arthritis in my hands flares up in a big hurry. <laughs> they're, they're a lot of work. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, my beavers, uh, I, I do, I flesh all my beavers on my knee. You do. With a knife, uh, with a, uh, oh, that Swiss knife. I forget the name of it now. But it's it's a super sharp knife, and I got a TV set up down there, and I got a movie or something going. I got a, a towel on my leg, and I just sit there and I just take my time. I can flesh a beaver in about 15, 20 minutes. That's cool. I I don't know what I do wrong. I I'm not really good at doing it by hand like that over my knee, and and it kind of frustrates me because like Jackie Wirtz is is who I I, I watched, I filmed, I. I mean, the guy skins a beaver in a minute and a half, and he and, and he fleshes it in about two minutes, and and I just I watched him, and he is he is so good at it. I don't know, I don't know how sharp his knives are or, or whatever, because you know he goes at it so fast, and the 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 fat and the gristle and that just fly off of it, and it doesn't do that for me. If and, and I'm I'm really good at sharpening things, but then I end up nicking stuff, right? And I just it just doesn't work for me. I, so I do I two-handed flesh on a on a beam that, that works for me for for beaver yeah i ha- i also have a beam it's um it's like a big piece of 12 inch pipe and it's split and it's made to, to hold the legs of the beaver and yeah. after i fleshed it i just go over it with with the flesh knife just to take up any that i missed um and once i've done that then i put them in the sink a little bit of warm water a little bit of soap and i wash them off Get all the mud and um, any blood and anything out of the fur, and then I have a, a couple of spinners, and I, I drop them in there and I spin all the water off, and then they're ready to board, and they come out just beautiful. So, where did you get your spinners? Uh, I just went online and looked for secondhand ones. It's kind of like a like a little drum. Um, they're, they're like a dryer, but. Yeah. All they do is spin around, 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 spin all the water up really fast. And they work slick. Oh, I, I, I got to find something like that. Board it right away. No kidding. I like I've I, I've tried to find old ringer washers and stuff like that. You know, like I, I want one so bad. You know, like especially especially for coyotes. You know, like coyotes are our coyotes are, are are beautiful in that, but they can sure be stinky and dirty in in, in the beginning, right? It, yeah. Once, once yeah, you get I it, even washed the wolves off as well. Yeah, get them in there. Yep. 
And then for the Martin, I have I built a drum uh, with sawdust inside. Yeah. And I do my own drumming before I skin them. Before you skin them. I, I run them. Yeah, I run them in the drum for about all oh, three or four minutes, and it helps loosen up the fur a little bit, and it, it just takes any any dirt out of the fur, makes it look a little nicer. Okay. We. We're, I'll, have send, I'll have to send you some videos of my stuff. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, you 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 bet. I just, I want to like I mean beaver. Beaver would be one of those animals that I would like to wash and 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 spin. I I don't I don't ever I don't like to. Pardon me. What what was that? Uh oh, did we did we freeze up here? Was losing your sound a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it says says that we're getting unstable here. Well, maybe we'll call this a call this an evening then. Well, we've been over an, over an hour. Uh, we'll try this again. Uh, try try this again one day. It has been uh, wonderful talking with you, Andrew. I gotta ask, was was it worth it moving to to Canada to go trapping? <laughs> I, I have no desire to go back to England at all. Even though my family's there, my brother and sister, and my parents are still alive. There's no way of moving back to England. This is this is home. Yeah. Well, that's good. That home on the trap line. Yeah, and and Canada needs more people like you. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thank you for spending the time and. Uh, I'll probably get this up uh, next week sometime, okay? Because I'm I'm heading to the trap line tomorrow. Yeah.